Hi, everybody. I'm Meredith Baker for On the Map, Off the Radar, and we have Dr. Sarah Prinsloo here with us today, who is an assistant professor at MD Anderson Cancer Center, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about neurofeedback and how it's used in pain management in cancer patients and in other issues that people deal with as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. Sure. Thanks for having me. And can you start um, off by explaining what neurofeedback is and how it's used in pain management for cancer patients? Absolutely. So neurofeedback is basically a learning procedure. Um, so we're teaching here at MD Anderson patients to modify their symptoms of pain just based on teaching the brain to do something different. So in other words, pain is perceived at the periphery, um, and we're actually asking the brain to just make a little change in certain areas that are responsible for the perception of pain. And those changes equate with improvement in symptoms. And so it's non-medication. It's um, basically dependent on the patient's ability to change their own brain waves, which is very natural and intuitive for everybody. Our brains change millions of times a day um, to accommodate different, different um, sensory inputs and so forth. And so we're just asking the brains to do what they do naturally and giving them a reward for making those changes. So could you kind of talk us through what that would be like if I sat down as a patient and you were running this neurofeedback treatment on me. Absolutely. I would just have you um, sit down. We do an initial what we call a brain map or a quantitative EEG where we would compare your EEG data or electroencephalogram data, brain waves, to a database of people that don't have that particular pain syndrome. And then we would get back literally a small map about the way that the brain functions. And then we look at certain areas that we're interested in, like a big one is sensory motor strip, which makes sense in terms of senses and motor movement for pain conditions. Um, once I have that map, then we would design um, what we call a brain computer interface or neurofeedback that would reward you every time you would change your brainwave function. So I would have electrodes stuck on your scalp in a couple of different locations. I would tell you to sit and watch the computer as if you're watching a TV and the computer would generate a reward like a pretty picture would appear on the screen and you would get an auditory feedback as well every time your brain made the requested frequency um, of changes that, that we're asking for. So it's basically just sit back, relax, watch a computer screen, and we reward you for doing something that you do naturally. And then um, after this happens, the kind of effects of it are like decrease in acute pain for cancer patients and yeah, so I've done a couple of different protocols here. Um, one has been working with acute pain patients in head and neck radiation. And then the second protocol was working with chronic pain patients with a condition called neuropathy that they get secondary to um, chemotherapy sometimes. Um, in both conditions, we saw um, improvement in pain. With the acute pain protocol, we didn't follow them over time. So they did their six weeks and then they're finished. Um, and our chronic pain condition though, we did follow them up to four months out of treatment and they still did much better than they had done originally when they came in for the treatment. Um, so basically it's a matter, neurofeedback is a matter of memorization. And so technically the more sessions we get under our belt, the better. However, we're limited here at MD Anderson because it's research protocol. So it's not in the clinical world. So we don't have the luxury of doing 40 sessions. We do 20 and we just see if, if we can create change in health folks. And 20 sessions is usually enough to create a, a sustaining um, change in behavior. 
Yeah, so what we see at four months out in that one group, the chronic pain group, is that their pain is not what it was at baseline. So it is improved over baseline, but it's not what we call statistically significant at four months. So that's basically saying, does the math say that the differences are better um, than they were at baseline? And the math says, no, indeed, they're not at four months. Um, but the patients clinically report that for sure their symptoms are much better than they were at baseline. It's just sometimes the statistics don't match up. Um, and then that kind of begs the question, do you go on statistics or do you go on patient report? So um, we're designing another trial. We'll follow them for the same length of time and kind of see, you know, in the future, we'll have to design studies to see what the optimal training period will be. So if that's 30 sessions, if it's 25 sessions, we don't know, but this is just pilot data that we have right now um, showing that neurofeedback works. That's amazing. And could you talk about, I know you're kind of in the current thick of the research of it, but the neurofeedback work you're doing with the integrative medicine department at MD Anderson with, um, I think you said, um, Tibetan sound therapy and acupuncture. And if you have any preliminary findings you can share with us. So absolutely. So we've got a couple of studies where we're actually not using neurofeedback, but we're using EEG neuroimaging. Um, so we use programs like called Loretta and we take a 19 electrode EEG and um, we create pretty pictures that look very much like the ones you've seen on TV with fMRI, for example. And we can isolate areas of activity and networks of activity within the brain related to things like um, acupuncture treatments, a meditation to help um, patients with chemo fog, a condition where they feel like they can't quite think as clearly um, after chemotherapy as they did before. So we're using that technology to sort of map out um, what the brain is doing in those conditions. We're different than fMRI. Um, fMRI is very spatially beautiful. It can isolate regions um, with a lot of precision in terms of activity, but we're very temporally accurate. So we can give a lot of information about the timing of events. Um, so they're complementary modalities. In terms of preliminary outcomes, we don't have any with Tibetan sound meditation yet because the study's still up and running. Um, with Loretta imaging with acupuncture, we do see, do see some interesting differences. Um, the study that I'm working on in particular, we're looking at patients in China versus patients in America, and we can actually see some differences across cultures um, in brain regions that are associated with things like um, senses, um, saliva production, um, attention, that sort of thing. So. That's incredible. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading the research findings when they're out. And what are some of the other um, issues outside of cancer patients that um, people would also benefit from a neurofeedback therapy? So neurofeedback has been used a lot in the general public for psychosocial conditions um, like anxiety, depression, learning disabilities, um, attention deficit disorder, things like that. And I definitely think that there's room for more research in cancer patients for mental health issues. Obviously, a, a cancer diagnosis can be quite traumatic for the patient and their families. Um, helping them adjust in terms of sleeplessness would be a big one, helping with fatigue, um, helping them get enough sleep, um, potentially uh, anxieties or depressions or things like that that would either come up as a, as a result of a cancer diagnosis or that would be exacerbated by going through the treatments or, or um, the diagnosis itself. So there's definitely, you know, anything that the brain can do, it's set in our circles, um, it can learn to do differently. 
So anything that we can think of in terms of symptom management, if we help the brain sort of normalize and do what it's best at in a normal way, symptoms could improve. I mean, that's remarkable. It really is kind of like so powerful that we have the ability to heal ourselves or at least um, minimize these symptoms just through kind of changing the, the way our brain works a little bit. Thank you so much for talking to us about neurofeedback. This has been so interesting. And I will include some of Dr. Prinslow's work underneath the YouTube video if you guys would like to learn more about neurofeedback and EEG imaging.